Father, we love you. And on this wonderful day that you've allowed us to be here, on this Orphan Sunday, we joined with your people across the country to pray for orphans and these families that are supporting these that are involved in their lives. And we know, Lord, that you love these precious children. And you have adopted us as your own children. And you've invited us to address you as Father, Abba, Daddy. To live as your children and your daughters and sons. And we truly love you because you first loved us. And Father, we just pray somehow, some way that we can make a bigger and better impact in the lives of these children who have no mother and no father. We get so tied up in our daily lives, God, that sometimes we simply forget about others and we get so tied up in our own lives that that's all we seem to focus on. And so we lift up to you the millions of children in the world that have lost their parents to disease and war, addiction, poverty and abandonment. God, and we just ask for your help. Be their defenders, their provider, their hope and their peace. And God, help us as individuals to do the same. We love you and we thank you for your great mercy. We thank you for your ability, God, to be all-knowing and powerful and not one of these children go without knowledge of you. Allow us to be a light among the darkness in our world. Every day, God, is a war. And week after week, we battle. So help us remain strong and, and faithful as we truly seek to serve you. Let us, Lord, remember that you are in us and we are in you and that you are the one working in our lives. Help us to become more like Christ. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are quickly approaching the end of the seven seas of history. You know, we, we're spending a lot more time in this study than I thought we would. When I got involved, I thought, well, it'll be seven simple sermons and we'll move right on. But obviously that's not the case. But I hope that uh, we will bring this in into a great sight of Jesus Christ and the cross. Not just a message of a man that has laid down his life being nailed to a tree, but the message of a cross as we look at in detail, I hope will allow us to understand this extremely valuable event. One that, that's changed history. One that is still alive and working in today's society and in people's lives they are affecting all over the world. The cross. And that's what we're looking at this morning. But before we get started in the message, I just want to review where I left off two weeks ago. As we dealt with looking at Christ. And over the last few weeks we've looked at Christ, but last week we looked at Christ and at the end of a message we ended with the cross. And so we saw Christ and His deity three weeks ago. Two weeks ago we saw Christ and His sufficiency. 
And then the message that Shane gave us was on Christ and His purpose. We look specifically Christ and His sufficiency. And how nothing else was needed to make a person justified before God. And for those that don't understand the term justified, it simply means declared not guilty. And so we are a guilty people before God. But because of what Christ did on the cross, He justifies us. He declares us not guilty before God. And there's nothing that we can do as individuals to accomplish that. It had to be done by the perfect, sinless sacrifice of Christ. And we touched on a few points. And we saw our need to understand what we were before we came to know Christ. Fallen in our nature, unable to save ourselves. And then we saw our need to understand what we are. Now that we have been redeemed, now that we have been saved and we're living lives in Christ, and we've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in us, we see ourselves in Christ, able to have victory over sin. No longer slaves to sin, but able to have victory. And then we saw our need to understand what He did. Christ, as He went to the cross forgiving all of our sins, the forgiveness that was complete. And we touched just a, a few minutes on the cross at the end and the effect of the cross. And that was what we looked at at the end of this message. But this week I want to spend just a bit more time at the cross. I hope that uh, during our time here that we can look in detail at this crucifixion. I want you and I both to have a better understanding of Jesus Christ on this cross. And what happened that day that Jesus went to Calvary. And so I would like this morning for you to go with me to that day Calvary. As I outline step by step into our passage this morning. You can close your eyes, you can feel free to look. But just think about these events as they unfold here in the Bible. Jesus was led to the Jewish high priest after Judas had betrayed him. There he was followed by Peter, in which Peter denied even to know Christ three times. He had been betrayed by friends and denied as well. And while Jesus there was with the high priest, he was mocked and he was beaten. They blindfolded him and they struck him and said things like, Prophesy! Who is hitting you, Jesus? But the Lamb of God remained silent and quiet. And as He stood before the elders of the Sanhedrin, they accused Jesus of blasphemy. What we find in Luke twenty-two seventy-one: We do not need any more testimony, they said. We've heard it from His own lips. Coming to the decision, they decided to put Jesus Christ to death. But before that they could do that, they needed Rome's approval of this death sentence that they were planning. And so Jesus was then taken to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea at the time. And although Pilate found him innocent, unable to find or even contrive a reason to condemn Jesus, Pilate feared the crowds. 
And instead of letting Jesus go, Pilate let them decide. The crowds decide the fate of Jesus. Stirred by the Jewish chief priest, the crowds began to declare, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Really, as was common during this time, Jesus was publicly scourged, beaten. He was beaten with a, 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 a leather whip like none that I've ever heard of before the crucifixion. Tiny pieces of iron and bone chips are tied to the ends of each one of these leather pieces. Calls in deep, deep cuts and embrasions bruising to the point of being unable to recognize this person. And so we read in Isaiah 52, just as many were astonished at you, many people so in his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So Christ was beaten extremely bad prior to even having to go to the cross. He's mocked. He's struck in the head with a staff. He's sped on. And the crown of thorns is placed on his head as a mockery. And as he's stripped naked. Too weak to carry his own cross. After this beating, he just received Simon the Cyrene was forced to carry it for him. And so they walked together. And Jesus was then led to Golgotha in place of the skull. The greatest man, God Himself, would be crucified. And as they arrived and got Jesus into place, before nailing to the cross, a medicated cup of vinegar was offered, mixed with myrrh and gall. And it was normally given to those who would endure the, the cross as a method of deadening the pangs of suffering that they were fixing to endure. But our Lord refused this cup that His senses might be cleared. And so at that time, stake-like nails were driven through His hands and His feet, fastening to Him the cross where He was crucified between two convicted criminals, one on His right and one on His left. <clears throat> Today we are looking at Calvary, the cross. Calvary, a place of curse, a place of blessing. The curse for Christ, but the blessing for humanity, mankind. Calvary. A place where we see humanity at its worst, but we see God at His best. Calvary. A picture of fallen man living life in the flesh. The picture of the Son of God living life by the Spirit. Calvary. Our place of hope for this day and for days to come. Calvary, where the Lamb of God was slain where the Son of God gave up His life for you and for me. Calvary. What we have here is Jesus Christ being crucified. 
And with that in mind, that's where we come to our text this morning. So if you will, let us turn together to Luke chapter 23, verses 33 to 34. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified Him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing His garments among themselves. Here in the text we see something absolutely amazing. Something that's actually not far from our accomplishing it. And I'm not talking about being crucified for the forgiveness of man. We, what we see in the text is an act of love. Love for others and not for self. What we see is a man far beyond our comprehension. This morning, I want you to leave with a better understanding of Jesus. <clears throat> For some, maybe even enough that you might believe in the wonderful news of the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Christ on the cross. What in the world is going on here, I ask myself. Well, here are three things I want us to bring out of this passage today. As we look at some of the things Jesus has said on the cross, here's our first example. The three points I want you to take home today is that, number one, we need to prepare for persecution. We need to prepare for persecution. Number two... We need to pray for our persecutors. We need to pray for our persecutors. And number three, we need to prepare for God's provision. We need to pray, prepare for God's provision. Verse, 20, uh, verse 33, chapter 23 reads this. When they came to the place called the skull, they were there crucified Him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Now, the place of the skull was a place somewhere outside of the city wall. Many believe that this place of the skull where Jesus was crucified is now home of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and last summer I had the opportunity to visit this facility, this place, this extravagant building that modeled the place of the crucifixion in the, in the place of burial for Christ. Where the tomb and Calvary were all in the same building. But I found a question that I asked myself is why was it important that Luke mentioned the skull? Because if you look at the other Gospels, most of them mention something different. They call it Golgotha. And so, there are a lot of ideas about this reason and this purpose that Luke used the word skull, but what I want to understand about this place of the skull is what it resembles. Why a skull? 
Well, a skull is in a, in a shape of a mound. A skull is a mound shape, clear on the top. We know that Golgotha, the skull, was a place outside the city wall. Because even in verse 32, we see that all three of them were led out. Out of what? Out of the city wall. In Hebrews 13.12 really sets this in stone that the skull or Golgotha or Calvary would have been placed outside of the city wall. It says this, Therefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people through His own blood, suffered outside the gate. Now the question is, why is this important? Why is it important that Jesus was crucified outside of the gate? Why is it important that this place looked like a skull, that it was a mound and, and cleared with nothing to be seen around it? Well, the person that was going to be crucified carried his own cross to the place of his crucifixion, which was outside the city wall. And in some place set apart for this purpose out there, which they called the skull, it would have been a place that would have drawn attention Elevated so that, that many could see the punishment that was taking place. Maybe a hill in which looked like a skull. And I remember there was a place when I was in Jerusalem that they said, this is the place where Jesus was crucified. And we believe that this was the place because John said there was a garden right near. And so if you go to a place called the garden tomb, when you walk up, there's this hill, this mound that's bare on the top. And it's got two big caves that sink in and it looks just like a skull. And if you were to come out of that city wall, you would have seen Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. What was the purpose for this place? A hill for all to see. Right near the gate, so that many would pass by and view these three men hanging on the cross really reminded me of the Exodus 21.9 when Moses made a bronze serpent. And anyone who was bitten by the serpent, all they had to do was look up and they were healed. And so here is a picture of Christ hanging on a cross on a skull looking hill, plain view coming out of the gate. And those who would look upon the cross, believing... His death on the cross and His burial and resurrection was a way of salvation. Listen, the cross was designed for criminals and slaves. And these people wanted Christ to be mocked and treated as a, a slave or a criminal. They wanted Him to be mocked and laughed at. As He hung willfully on the cross, on the skull. And Jesus was portrayed as a criminal. Stuck to suffer with two other folks who had earned their way to the cross as criminals. He was persecuted, beaten, spat on, and mocked. And we can learn a lot from that as we prepare for persecution. Number one, we need to prepare for persecution. John 15.20 gives us a great understanding of this. When it says, Remember the words that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. 
And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so we need to be prepared. How about you this morning? Uh, have you been persecuted? Listen, there's different types of persecution and we'll look at it later. Have you been persecuted? Jennifer and I, when we were deciding to make the move into ministry, stepping out on faith, leaving our job, people put pressure on us. Many people would say, dude, you are crazy. You're an idiot. You're foolish for leaving this. And I remember sitting at a dinner table with one of my family members. And this is what they said to me. You're going to be one of those guys standing out on the street holding a sign, I will work for food. That's the kind of guy you're going to be, huh? You're going to give up your job and you're going to step out into the ministry and trust God to provide for you. We weren't beaten. We weren't hurt physically. But let me tell you, the tongue is a powerful tool. And we knew that we needed to prepare for persecution. And trust us, we had our fair share. Just like we talked about today in Sunday school, there are churches and people all across this world being persecuted for their faith. And we not so much as them, physically, but verbally, were persecuted. Listen, I tell you the truth, if you're teaching the truth of the gospel, holding fast to God's word, you will be persecuted by American people. When you share your faith with somebody and they throw a track back in your face and say, you keep that crap, I don't need it. That's persecution. But you pick up that track off the ground, you go give it to the next person. And you stand firm. Acts 14.22 says this, Strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There will be tribulations. There is a war raging right here in our midst. Even in a small community, there's a war raging. We are fighting a battle of spiritual warfare all the time. And you young people, when your friends laugh at you, and they mock you for standing up for your faith. You be bold for Christ. You don't back down. You stand up. And you give an account for the hope that's within you. We're not called to prove this Bible to people. We're called to show them a changed life and give them a hope that is within us. So you stand strong. Luke 23, reads, And they, there they crucified Him. The criminals, one on the right, the other on the left. Now I believe Jesus is a role model. And I think this is why He says, Take up your cross daily. Because for Christ to endure and take on the cross, He had to surrender His own will and submit to the Father's will. And so that's why He says, Not my will, but yours. 
Christ is our master. And we are his slaves. And no slave is greater than his master. And so we will be persecuted. And if we're persecuted, then we need to be prepared. I really like Paul's example. As he was, he was not ashamed of the gospel. He, he, didn't, he, he didn't back off. He spoke the truth. And because he spoke the truth, we find what we hear in 2 Corinthians 11. 23 to 28. This is what he says. They are servants of Christ. Question mark. I speak as if I'm insane. I more so. In far more labors and in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night. And a day I had spent in the deep. I had been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers. Dangers from robbers, dangers from my own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, danger among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship and through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such... External things, there are many daily pressures on me of concern for all the churches. Paul understood he was not ashamed of the gospel. He was not ashamed to stand up for the truth of the Scriptures. He didn't change the Scriptures to make it fit and suit everybody in the community. No, he preached the truth of the gospel. And it is what it is what it is. And He paid for it. And so we need to prepare for persecution. They sought to make Jesus to be something He wasn't. They sought Him out to be a criminal and a liar. And Jesus was numbered with transgressors. One on His right and one on His left. But the wonderful thing is, is God was in control. And everything worked to His perfect direction. And so we read in Isaiah 53, a picture of the suffering servant that would come. It reads this, Therefore, I will allot him a portion of the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressor. Yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. God was in control. Not one thing that happened on Calvary did not come under God's understanding and allowing. The fact that he hung with the two thieves on the skull, or Golgotha, fulfills Isaiah 53. The suffering servant. We need to prepare, folks. It's coming if we're following Jesus Christ. But we also need to pray for our persecutors. 
when we were dealing with our persecution as a family, for our decision to follow the call of God in our lives, we had to make choices. We could have hated those who beat us with their tongues, or we could have loved them. We could have, Shane said last week so well, we could glorify God or we could not glorify God. No, we could hate them or we could love them. We could pray for them or we could curse them. Why do you think that it's so important to pray for our enemies? Well, I truly believe that Jesus is our role model. And Jesus did these things and went through these things is a picture of what He wanted us to become. Now I understand that we can never be like Jesus until we see Him face to face. But we can struggle and wage war to become like Him every day. Christ has given those who are in Jesus, believers, unbelievable power. And sometimes... As one song artist writes, we get so entangled with sin that we focus on sin so much that it paralyzes us. We need to wage war. Because we will endure persecution. And Christ even prepared us for that. And so if you're sitting here today and you're not enduring persecution, that ought to make you ask yourself a question. We need to be focusing on being crucified with Christ. Living our lives as strong followers of Jesus. Because He was the perfect example for us to live by. And though we will strive the whole life to become like Jesus, we may fail. We may come into issues in our lives. Our job is to strive to be this perfect example that Jesus here on this cross was doing. Luke 23, 34 reads this. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up His garments among themselves. I find it very interesting that this begins with, but Jesus was saying. Here our king is being hung on a cross with two thieves dying a shameful death. He is suffering unknown agony. But when Christ the King of glory speaks, we get a glimpse of His power and love for people. He doesn't curse those who have beat Him with the rod, those that had flogged Him, those that had spit in His face, those that had made a mockery of Him, even those that had nailed His hands to the cross and nailed His feet to the cross. He never curses. But, while all this is happening, He doesn't plead for help, oh, help me. No, He doesn't cry out for pity me. No, Jesus the crucified prays. 
doesn't pray for himself or his situation. He prays for his persecutors. What Jesus was saying. Look, Jesus was in the middle of being nailed to the cross. He was praying. He was in the middle of being mocked and he was praying. He was in the middle of being belittled. He was praying. Father, forgive them. They know, they do not know what they do. Jesus understood their ignorance. And really in our lives, as we see the example of praying for those who persecute us, we need to understand that they don't understand what they are doing. Listen, honestly, don't, don't think for one moment that only unbelievers will be the one testing you through persecution. No, Christians are fallen people and they sin. And though forgiven, sometimes they persecute their very own people. When someone gets a glimpse of a gossip and they begin to judge this person for what they've done, they're persecuting them. The very own people who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, those of you who are being persecuted for your faith, those of you being persecuted for sin in your life that you are over, that you've asked for forgiveness, that you are moving on from, rejoice. Rejoice when you're persecuted. Oh, how can you do that, Stuart? Let's see what it says in Philippians 1, 28 and 29. Here it brings great hope for those who are enduring suffering for the sake of Christ. It says this, For you have been given not only the privilege, trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ. When I've had people throw tracks in my face, I rejoice, praise God. Because when I suffer in this flesh, I suffer right along with Jesus Christ. And so I should rejoice. One type of suffering involves personal attack, physically. Including things like violence and imprisonment, torture, and even death. And we typically don't have that in America. But it's not unseen that it's not ever happened before. Typically we see the second type. It involves words which attack, ridicule, belittle, and otherwise show hatred for the persecuted. This is what we see most of in America today. But listen, Christ went through both. He got the beatings, and He got the beaten with the tongue. And He endured both. Matthew 5, 44, the King James Version reads this, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Proverbs 25, 21 reads this, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. John 13, 34 reads this, A new commandment I give you, love one another. 
that I've loved you, so you must love one another. Romans 12, 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12, 20, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do good to those who hate you. Listen, for years I had a very dear friend of mine. For some reason, he hated me. I don't know if he thought I was a fake Christian because I was doing silly things for the sake of Christ. But he treated me wrongly. But you know what? I loved him, I loved him, I loved him. And he hated every minute of it. Because what he wanted from me was to lash back out in him in anger. But that's not what I did. I loved him and I prayed for him. And he's doing better today. So when somebody tells you to stop praying, you stand up and you keep praying. And you be bold for your faith. When someone tells you to don't open your Bible in that school, you open it and you read it. You let them kick you out. Praise the Lord. Be a rebel for Christ. Stand up. Look, Jesus lived His public life in prayer. He prayed all the time. And here we come to the end of His life and in the same manner He's praying for those who have persecuted Him. And so we as well, we need to be believers and followers of Christ that are standing up, praying for those who are fighting against us. Understanding they do not understand what they do. We can't expect them to do things. They don't understand the things of God. It doesn't excuse the issues, but it still gives you a peace to understand they are not in, in Christ Jesus. They don't understand what they're doing. And if a believer is persecuting you, you get another brother and you go to him. You fix the problem. These people were not believers in Christ understood it. For they know not what they are doing. And sometimes I wonder if we lash out too much. You know, we, we expect them to say things without using bad words. I've met with some people here in the community, and boy, they just drop them bombs like this. And you know, I just smile, because it, I can't expect any different. They don't have Christ to change them. They can't change themselves. We can't understand why people want to go out and get drunk all the time, and take drugs, and, and act foolish. Well, maybe they're not in Jesus Christ. We shouldn't knock them. We knock them when they watch things on TV that we wouldn't watch or we wouldn't want our kids to watch and we get upset with them and say, man, you shouldn't watch that. Well, why not? They're not in Christ. I'd be watching it. I watched it my whole life. Because I wasn't in Christ. When they mock us and they're God, don't get disappointed. Don't fold under pressure. Don't back up. Don't back off. Stand up for the sake of Christ. Don't fold under pressure. Accept persecution. Prepare for it. And pray for those who are persecuting you. Yes, we need to prepare. And we need to pray for those persecutors. 
But thirdly, we need to prepare for God's provision. As we pray, we need to expect that God will answer our prayers. I can't help but think of Jesus there on the cross. <coughs> Excuse me. I can't help but think of Jesus there on the cross praying for those people around Him and even the two thieves that hung with Him on the cross as He prayed for them as they lashed out against Him or at least one of them did as He says, Aren't you the Messiah? I mean, Jesus is hanging on the cross and here two criminals are hanging on the cross and one of them looks at Jesus and says, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. You know, make sure you don't forget us. But what I find interesting here is in Luke 23, a little later in the chapter, 40 to 43, it reads this, But the other answered, the other criminal that is, and rebuking him said, Hey bud, do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we are indeed suffering justly, for we have received what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, Truly I say to you, today it would be with me in paradise. Hear Jesus praying in verse 34, Forgive them. Here we see Jesus, the ultimate evangelist, knowing that one cannot come to Christ on his own accord. Prays for the people. And here God calls one of these thieves to Himself. This man was saved on the cross. You ask the question, when Jesus prayed on the cross, did God answer His prayers? Yes, He answered His prayers. And here's one of the examples that we are at least given. Where one of these thieves that were hanging on this cross condemned to death. No possible way that he could save himself. Jesus reaches out and says, I will remember you. You will be in paradise with me today. We need to pray for those who persecute us. Because our prayers work. The prayers of a righteous man accomplishes much. And we need to pray for those who persecute us. This man came to Christ. Listen, he wasn't baptized. He had no good works in his life. He just hung there helpless on a cross. But he understood who Jesus was. For the longest time I've prayed for my mother and my father. My father accepted Christ before we came here as he served with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And my daughter has prayed unconditionally. Every day. Every breakfast, every lunch, every dinner. Every day. 
for two years. Save them. Save them. Save Paul Paul. Save Gigi. Save Paul Paul. Save Gigi. Every morning, every lunch, every dinner for two years. She didn't go to bed without saying it. She doesn't wake up in the morning without saying it. She says it consistently. Why? Because she expects that God's going to answer her prayers. And so she continues to pray over and over and over and over until God answers the prayer. Two weeks ago, uh, my stepmother talked with Dr. Carl Brogy, my pastor back home, and she received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Serving with the Jehovah's Witnesses for many years, working hard, studying the Bible, but deceived. All the years of struggles and debates that we've had with one another. All those came to a close as God drawed her to Himself. My daughter knew God would save her. And she answered when, I, when we told her, I, I knew that God would, would save her daddy. So innocent. How many of us as adults fail to have a childlike faith? I'd be the first one to raise my hand. I pray for people all the time and I don't expect they're going to be saved. Why? I don't know. It's in human nature. I'm not a kid. Maybe I need to learn to pray like a child. With expectation and prepare for God's provision for salvation and answered prayers in the lives of the people whom we love, whom persecute us, whom we pray for them to come to Christ. And if Jesus is doing it on the cross in the midst of suffering and pain, and here we live in luxury in America, yet we fail to pray for those who persecute us. We need to pray. For those that hurt us, hate us, persecute us. And we need to prepare for God's provision to answer those prayers. Jesus prayed for this thief. And the thief was saved. God answered his prayers. We need to pray for our persecutors. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ yourself. Someone is most likely praying for you. If you're in this church, you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I can promise you someone is praying for you. This isn't like a day, you know, just like a weekly thing where you come to church, all of a sudden you're invited and nobody's praying for you. If we're inviting you to church, we're praying for you to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because that's what we do as a body of Christ. We pray for people. We pray for people's salvation. We pray for husbands and wives in this congregation that are not believers to come to know Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And guess what? We need to expect that God's going to answer that in His timing. And if He doesn't, why not? Well, you can bet that God has a purpose for everything.
we're praying for you. And we're waiting on God to draw you to Himself. And if you'd like to do that today, answer the call of Christ in your life to repent and to turn to Christ while you still have time, there's time. It's time for you to believe in the gospel, that God became a man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 of John 1, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And He lived on this earth. He lived the sinless, perfect life. And then we find what we have in this Scripture. He came and He bore His sins on the cross. But if I stopped here on the cross... We'd have a man hanging on a tree. But no, he raised from the dead. Proven he claims who he claims to be, God. And he says, whoever believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And I ask you this morning, are you putting your trust and your faith when you come to the end of your life? Because it happens so quickly. I did a service this weekend for a young lady, 27 years old. Left two children behind. You think she knew it? No. She had no idea she was going to be with the Lord. But I taught that heaven is a prepared place. It's a promised place. But listen, don't miss this. It's an exclusive place. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Thomas, he said, and you know the way I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, how do we know where you're going? We don't know where you're going. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus. Where's your trust this morning? Is it in Christ? Or is it in your works? Or your baptism? Or you're reading the Bible? Or you're going to church? We must understand that Jesus Christ, His work on the cross was complete. That's why He said, It is finished. To tell us die. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for your mercy, your grace, and your provision. And I pray that you work in the lives of people here today that are believers, that are followers of Christ, continue to grow them into the image of Jesus until we see you face to face. May we wage war against the evil one. May we endure persecution. May we prepare for persecution. May we pray for our persecutors, God. And may you give us the power and ability to trust in you enough to prepare for your provision to answer our prayers. I pray for those family members today that are not here. The wives are by themselves or the husbands are by themselves. Pray for their husbands and their wives to come to know Jesus as Christ, Savior, Redeemer of all mankind. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.